0: Let's open to First Kings chapter twenty. First Kings chapter twenty. We're gonna read through two chapters because it's a it's a bigger story. This what happened? It's like a movie. I'm telling you, it's, get get ready, okay? Get get out your popcorn and uh, strap on your seatbelt because I'm telling you, this is like the craziest. It's just amazing what happens here in the story. It's wonderful. I love the adventure of the Bible. So many of these just make a, like a killer movie like The Passion, but just the whole Bible, man. Just like, you know, it's like maybe it's like 50 hours of, of straight watching or something, you know, just like or 66 hours. I don't know, right? You know, I, I don't know. It would just be so sweet, though, just going through there and seeing all this stuff, just like the, the full on action packed That'd be sick. If any of you guys are into film, and uh, hey, maybe ten years from now, maybe you put that out for us and, and if, if I have any ability to sponsor that, we will. How much do you need? Hundred million? You got it, man. I'll ask the Father. Don't worry about it. We'll take care of it, alright? Let's go before the King. Father, you are the great King and I thank you for the work that you've done in Patrick. I thank you for the change. God, that I would have never even known from the day that I met the man that he could ever have even a drop of these things within his life. And it is a witness of your glory and a witness of your power and what you can do in a person's life. A person that is willing to submit and lay themselves down before you and give everything to you. Father, help us. There are many here tonight holding back. There are many here tonight that need that grace to see it and that love to break down the walls, to hand over the keys, to hand over the deed, everything to their lives. Help me, King. Please speak through your word tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, here we go. You guys ready? Gird up your minds and get ready. 1 Kings chapter 20, verse 1. And Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, gathered all his hosts together. And there were with him thirty-two kings with him, and horses and chariots. And he went up and besieged Samaria, and warred against it. And he sent messengers to Ahab, king of Israel, into the city, and said to him, Thus saith Ben-Hadad. So wait, real quick before we find out what he said. Ben-Hadad has how many? 32 kings with him. 32 kings. They have got horses and chariots. They've got a lot of people. They're going to wage war against Ahab. Look what he says to him. He sends this message to Ahab. Thy silver and thy gold is mine. Sounds like a baby. Mine. Thy wives also and thy children... Even the goodliest are mine. So he sends this this king with thirty-two kings allied. Benadad, you got Ahab over here, and Benadad sends his message over to Ahab and says, "Hey, all your silver, all your gold, mine. All your wives and all your children, mine." Look what happens. Verse four. And the king of Israel answered and said, "My lord." O king, according to thy sayings, I am thine and all I have. What? Yeah, the king of Israel says, all right, you got it. It's yours. He doesn't want to fight against the 32 kings. He's scared. What he doesn't know is about the God of Israel who laughs at 32 kings because he is the king of kings, of all kings. And every king to ever walk the earth will bow the knee to this king. And Ahab is scared, and so he says, Hey, alright, you want all the money? You can have it. You want my children and my wives? You can have them. And so he well, he says he can have it. Look what happens in verse 5. And the messengers came again and said, Thus speaketh Benadad, saying... So, hey, Benadad sends some more messengers back to this king, and he says something else. Look what he says. Although I have sent unto thee, saying... Thou shalt deliver me thy silver and thy gold and thy wives and thy children. Yet I will send my servants unto thee tomorrow, about this time, and they shall search thine house and the houses of thy servants. And it shall be that whatsoever is pleasant in thine eyes, they shall put in their hand and take it away. Uh-oh. So, ben remember, 32 kings, allied up, comes over to Ahab, give me all your money, I want your wives and children. Okay, you can have it. Benadad, 32 kings, comes back and does what? Yeah, I want everything that I said, and I want this too. I want to be able to come into your house and take anything that I want, anything that pleases my eye. Like walking into this house and saying, Moss family, uh, anything that's pleasing to the eye, everything, I'm taking it. uh, We're taking this out of here. And, And so look what happens. Look what Ahab says. The king of Israel, verse 7, called all the elders of the land and said, Mark, I pray you, and see how this man speaketh mischief. For he sent unto me for my wives and for my children and for my silver and for my gold, and I denied him not, meaning he gave it to him. And verse 8, And all the elders and all the people said unto him, Hearken not unto him, nor consent. So he calls the elders, he calls the congregation, the leaders of Israel together, and says, Listen, boys. King Benadad, Mister Thirty Two Kings, wants to uh, he not only take my wife's children and all the money, which I gave to him, but then he said he wants to come in and take everything, anything they want in all of our houses. And the people said, "What? Absolutely not! Don't do it." Verse eight. And all the elders and all the people said unto him, "Hearken not unto him, nor consent." And then verse nine. Wherefore he said unto the messengers of Benadad. Tell my lord the king, all that thou didst send for thy servant, at the first I will do, but this I may not do. And the messengers departed and brought to him the word of again. So Ahab sends messengers unto Mr. 32, and look what Benadad sends. It says in verse 10 sent unto him and said, The gods do so unto me, and more also. The dust of Samaria shall suffice for the handfuls for all the people that follow me. What he's pretty much saying is, look, we're going to take everything, even the dust off the ground. We're taking everything. We're going to come and wipe you, Ahab, off the face of the earth. All of your army, all of your people, we're taking all your wives, children, silver and gold, and we're taking everything in your house and you ain't going to stop us. Look at verse 11. And the king of Israel answered and said, Tell him, let not him girdeth on his harness boast himself as he that putteth it off or saying this um, look buddy you don't get dressed before the war and say you're you've won you don't stand up and put on all the armor and say hey we won the battle no you got to go and fight it so he's pretty much mocking him he's mocking mr. 32 then verse 12 and it came to pass when benedad heard this message he was drinking he and the kings of the pavilions that he said unto his servants, set yourselves in array. And they set themselves in array and against the city. Okay. So we know the story. We have We have Benadab, Mr. 32, and Ahab, the king of Israel. Now remember Ahab? Do you remember Ahab? You know his wife, his wife is? Jezebel. The wickedest wickedest? The most wicked woman to ever walk the earth. She's ridiculous, just like this king. You know what she did to Elijah? Do you remember? Remember the battle of the gods there in First Kings chapter 18? See the battle of the gods raging. And Elijah says to the prophets there of Baal and says, Hey, if your God is God, then let him bring down fire from heaven and consume this altar. And if my God is God, then he will bring down fire from heaven and consume the altar. And guess what happens? The prophets cry out day and night, cutting themselves, trying to get their God to answer with fire. And what happens? Nothing. And Elijah even mocks the prophets. And he's like, what is your God on the toilet or something? What's going on? Why isn't he Is He busy? That's what the translation says. What, he can't come and provide for you guys? Look, you're cutting yourselves and dancing naked and all these things, and he's not coming through. Watch this. Elijah just says, Father, like just, just bring it down. And all of a sudden, boom, the fire comes down. Before he does that, to mock these guys even more, this is what he does. He takes buckets of water and pours it all over the offering, all over the offering, all over the offering, and soaks it. Then he digs a hole around the altar and starts pouring more water and more water so that the holes fill up like this moat around. So this is, this altar is just drenched with water now. It's like, watch this, boys. <laughs> and it says that the fire licked up everything. Everything, all of the water, everything was just taken away. And then all of a sudden they start running and Elijah pulls out a sword and kills them all. And then what happens? Well, Elijah prays for rain. It comes and all this and he runs really fast at that point. I won't get into the story, but... Then all of a sudden, Ahab's wife, who? Jezebel, remember, this wicked woman, what does she do? She says, that Elijah boy... I'm going to send a message to him. Tell him I'm going to kill him. And what does Elijah do? He runs. He gets scared. Mr. Call down fire from heaven. This woman is wicked. And we see Ahab, a part of this. And we're going to see how wicked this man gets. But watch. This This is so interesting to me. It's just kind of a background on the family, okay? So the family is just... the wife is wicked, the husband... I mean, there it is. Wicked couple, okay? They don't serve God. But look what happens here. So we got Mr. 32 rising up against Ahab. And look what happens in verse 13. And behold, there came a prophet unto Ahab, king of Israel, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Has thou been all this great multitude? Behold, I will deliver it into thine hand this day, and thou shalt know that I am the Lord. What? This prophet comes unto Ahab randomly. Can you imagine? Like you're freaking out, right? Like somebody's raging war on your house. They're like, uh-oh, maybe the mob's coming over, I don't know, to come and take everything. And uh, you're just sitting there like, okay, what are we going to do? And you're trying to get ready maybe, and all of a sudden this guy just knocks at the door. Duck, 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 duck. Yeah, I just want to let you know that uh, thus saith the Lord... Uh, God's going to deliver you. Huh? This man hasn't been seeking God. It would be something as random as that. He's not walking with God. And Ahab even says it there in verse 14. He says, by whom? And he said, thus saith the Lord, even by the young men of the princes of the providence. Then he said, who shall order the battle? And he said, you. You. So he's saying here, like, listen, buddy, you're about to win this battle, this battle that's about to war against you. But the only way you're going to win, and the only way you're going to know that you're going to win, it's going to be by the hand of the Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh. And look what happens, verse 15. Then he numbered the young men of the princes of the providence. There were 232. And after them, he numbered all the people, even all the children of Israel, being 7,000. And they went out at noon, but ben was drinking himself drunk in the pavilions, and he and the kings, the 32 kings that helped him. Okay, so what just happens? The prophet comes, Ahab, you're going to win. Ahab goes, all right, let's go, let's get all the young bucks together. He gets up all his soldiers, and they get ready to go to battle, and they go out at about noon time, and they walk up, and what's happening Hey, Benedad, Mr. 32 and his kings, kicking back some whiskey, they're getting faded. Jose Cuervo is their best friend right now. Okay? They're faded and they're sitting there in their tent, laughing and all of the above, and the army rolls up on them. Look what happens. Verse 17 And the young men of the princes of the Providence went out first, and Benedad sent out, and they told him, saying, There are men come out of Samaria, and he said, Whether they come out for peace, take them alive. Or whether they come out for war, take them alive. So this guy's just being an idiot right now, Mr. Benadad. He's just like, he's drunk, he's out of his mind. He's like, look, if they're coming to make peace, kill them. If they're coming for war, kill them. Who cares? Just kill them anyway. I just feel like killing right now. God humbles this man. Watch what happens. So these young men, verse 19, of the princes and of the province came out of the city and the army which followed them, and they slew every one his man. And the Syrians fled, and Israel pursued them. And Benadad, the king of Syria, encamped on the horse with the horsemen. And the king of Israel went out and smote the horses and the chariots, and they slew the Syrians with a great slaughter. Can you imagine this? This little army, one king, rolls up on 32 kings in their army. The kings are just kicking back, just being idiots and getting drunk. And this army rolls up and just whoops on them. And they go running. When is the last time these kings probably got beat? They're right, man. There's 32 of them. They're allied together. Who's going to rage war against them? So the Israelites rise up. Ahab smotes and destroys. By who? The hand of God. God helps Ahab. Why? That's the question. That's what I want to know. His wife tried to kill your prophet. Why is God reaching out to this man? Why is God pursuing this man? Why is God's hand moving amongst his army? Look at verse 22. And the prophet came to the king of Israel and said unto him, Go strengthen thyself and mark and see what thou doest. For at the return of the year, the king of Syria will come up against thee or in springtime next year. Verse 23, And the servants of the king of Syria said unto him, Their gods are gods of the hills. Therefore they were stronger than we. But let us fight against them in the plain, and surely we shall be stronger than they. Stop there. So this is what happens. Yes, they've won. And the prophet of God, that had spoke to Ahab the king about winning the war, came back to him and said, Listen, man, the armies, the 32, are going to come to wage war against you next spring. Get ready. Get your men prepared. Don't be just goofing off. Get them in training. Get them ready. And then on the other side, we get to see in the enemy's camp there in Syria, the 32 kings, they start brainstorming, and they're like, oh, this is it. See, their God fights for them in the hills, but hey, in the valley, in the plains, God can't fight for them. So this is what we'll do. We'll get them in the plains, we'll get them in the valley, and that's what will destroy them. Idiots. So this is what happens um where we are. we are in verse 24 and do this thing take the kings away every man out of his place and put captains in their rooms so again the the Syria uh yeah the king of Syria is saying this to them verse 25 and number thee an army like the army thou hast lost for horse for horse and chariot for chariot and we will fight against them in the plain remember in this in the plains and surely we shall be stronger than they. And he hearkened unto their voice and did so. Verse 26, And it came to pass, at the return of the year, that ben numbered the Syrians and went up to Aphek to fight against Israel. And the children of Israel were numbered and were all present and went against them. And the children of Israel pitched before them like two little flocks of kids. But the Syrians filled the country. Okay, so guess what? war is about to rage it's like like Lord of the Rings all right it's going down this is it Israel gets their army together it's springtime and, and and all of Syria gets their army together and it says this Israel's army looked like a little gathering of goats compared to the army of Syria that covered the entire land it truly is like Lord of the Rings It's like these like five guys like standing out there against like or 300 you know when you see that it's crazy. You can't even imagine. Maybe like us standing here in this room and all of a sudden we overlook the hill and all we see is just people, just like thousands and thousands of people just sitting up on those hills, getting ready to go to battle. And God has told them that he will deliver. Look what happens, verse 28. And there came a man of God and spoke to the king of Israel. So here is that prophet again. Look what happens. And he said to Ahab, Thus saith the Lord... Because the Syrians have said, The Lord is God of the hills, but He is not God of the valleys. Therefore I will deliver this great multitude into thine hands, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. There it is again. What does this prophet say? Ahab, you're going to know that I am the Lord. Why? Because I'm going to deliver you. You look like a bunch of little goats sitting out there in the field against this swarm of men. But I will deliver you. And look what happens in verse 29. Are you ready for this? This is crazy. Look at this. And they pitched one over against the other seven days. And so it was that in the seventh day the battle was joined and the children of Israel slew of the Assyrians 100,000 footmen in one day. 100,000 men in one day. you know how many seconds are in one day? 86,400. 86,400. That's how many seconds are in one day. And how many people did they kill? 100,000. That means that men were dying by the second. More than that. I can't even imagine to see this fight. It was crazier than 300, I'm sure. It must have just been like, I mean, all these guys must have been like ninjas, you know, just going off, like like just, you know, like they're like hitting people without even looking, you know, and just doing crazy stuff. Like the Matrix or something, you know, just going off on these fools. And and hey, 100,000 footmen. I can't even... Probably one of the greatest victories Israel's ever seen. And it's by who? The, Ahab? Ahab, the wicked king? Ahab, the one with that crazy wife, wants to kill Elijah? What's going on here? Says verse thirty, but the rest fled to Aphek into the city, and there was a wall. Check this out. So the rest of the army that wasn't killed, a hundred thousand, the rest left over. Look what happens. They go to Aphek into a city, and there a wall fell upon twenty seven thousand of the men that were left. What? And Benadad fled and came into the city into an inner chamber. This is crazy. A wall. Maybe they're, like, trying to just get some shade or something. Like, it's just barreling down on them in the desert. Like, it's just so hot they've been running from the enemy because they're scared to death. Just, like, kicking it next to the swallows and just, like, boom! It's, like, every but 27,000. That's a lot of people. You ever been to Angel Stadium? That's a lot of people. Gosh. The hand of the Lord moving and guess what, Mr. Thirty Two, remember, Mr. Thirty Two? What does it say at the last, last part of that verse? And Benadad fled and came into the city into an inner chamber. He went and like got in a closet and just like, probably just couldn't believe what just happened. Can you imagine if you're like standing on top of the world? I mean, you got all these people. It's like any one of the war movies we've seen, you know, like The Patriot or something. Like, it just like, it's insane. It doesn't make sense. How have these people got victory? I wonder how blown away Ahab was. Can you imagine? A wicked king that does not serve God nor fear Him. But God delivers them in a miraculous way right before their eyes. Let's move on. Verse 31, And his servant said unto him, Behold now, we have heard that the kings of the house of Israel are merciful kings. He's speaking to Mr. 32. His servant is speaking to him. He's like, look, man, the kings of Israel, I've heard they're merciful. Do this. He says, I pray thee, put sackcloth on our loins and ropes on our heads and go out to the king of Israel Peradventure He will save thy life. So he's like, look, man, you need to get in a place of repentance Okay, you need to rent your clothes. You need to throw ashes on your head. You need to put sackcloth on. Sackcloth is like, a, it's like put. Have you ever seen like a potato bag? It's like putting that on. It's a, it's a place of mourning. It's a place of repentance. It's showing like that you are humbling yourself completely before the Lord. And so, Mr. Thirty Two is told by his servant, Hey, do this. Put on the potato bag. Throw ashes on your head. Show Israel. Show King Ahab that you're, hey, you're humble and that you don't want to fight anymore. You're just surrendering completely. And so what does he do? There, verse 32. So they girded sackcloth on their loins and put robes on their heads and came to the king of Israel and said, Thy servant Benedad saith, I pray thee, let me live. And he said, Is he yet alive? He is my brother. Okay, now this is dangerous, and you're going to see why, but look at verse 33. Now the men did diligently observe whether anything would come from him and did hastily catch it. And they said, Thy brother Benadad. And then he said, Go ye, bring him. Then Benadad came forth to him, and he caused him to come up into the chariot. Uh-oh. Look what's happening here. This sneaky little rat. Mr. 32 scared and so what does he do he puts on this front and he's like let's put on the sackcloth and let's go and repent and all this stuff and so he goes to ahab he sends him he sends his messenger i'm sorry to ahab and says hey just tell him tell him that your brother tell him your brother is in need for you wants you your brother Benadad is not a jew he's not his brother and Benadad does not serve yahweh He's not his brother. And what does Ahab do? He pulls this man up into his chariot with him, and they go off. And look what he says. I'm sorry, look what Benadad says there in verse 34. Benadad said unto him, The cities which my father took from thy father I will restore, and thou shalt make streets for thee. In Damascus, as my father made Samaria, then said Ahab, I will send thee away with this covenant. So he made a covenant with him and sent him away. The father delivered the enemy into his hands, and Ahab preserved it. Wickedness. I'm going to keep moving through the story before I apply. I could stop here. There's a lot of points of application. I was about to right now, but I just want to get through this because we have a lot of reading. I just want us to get this story ingrained in our minds. I want us to see this, okay? And then at the end, you'll we'll see the application. So what has Ahab done? He has made friends. Hey, he calls him brother, the enemy. And so now you see, guess what? Mr. 32, remember who mocked and said, I'm taking your wives, your children, your gold and silver, all this. And hey, I'm going to take everything and anything I want in your house. He is now riding next to Ahab there in the chariot. They're riding together. Interesting. And they make a covenant. Verse 35 and a certain man of the sons of the prophets said unto his neighbor in the word of the Lord, smite me. Okay, now, this there's kind of a picture change here, okay? This is kind of something separate from the story, but watch what happens. There's a certain man, a son of the prophets, he says unto his neighbor, smite me, I pray thee. Smite me. Yeah, the prophet is like, or the son, the prophet, yeah, the prophet's son is just like, hey man, you come here, smack me in the face. The guy's like, dude, I'm not going to smack you in the face. But see, it was the word of the Lord. The prophet was begging him and telling him to do it, and this man did not listen. And then he said to him, look at verse 36, Because thou hast not obeyed the voice of the Lord, this man's a prophet, Behold, as soon as thou art departed from me, a lion shall slay thee. What? And as soon as he was departed from him, a lion found him and slew him. Wow. Walks up to a guy, you, hit me in the face. I ain't going to hit you, right? Because you didn't listen to the voice of the Lord, a lion will eat you. And that's what happened. Now, we maybe. okay, I'll explain. you thinking like, gosh, it's kind of harsh, man. You know, what's the deal? Why is uh, God killing this guy for this? Why is a lion coming out and mauling this guy to death? Well, see, I think there was something a little bit more than just a man walking up and saying, Hey, man, I want not you punch me? It's not that. We're going to see right now in the story as we continue to read why this was a big issue and why this needed to happen. It's almost like asking somebody to do something for the sake of the Lord. Asking them to step out and to move for the sake of God. It's like, no, I'm not going to have anything to do with that. I'm out of here. And the truth is is that death is in store for them as well. And look what happens. Verse 37, Then he, who, this this prophet, found another man and said, Smite me, I pray thee. And the man smote him, so that in smiting him he wounded him. So the prophet departed and waited for the king by the way and disguised himself with ashes upon his face. Okay, check this. So the prophet finds some guy to smote him in the face. Smite me. <laughs> he smotes him. And so now, and he beats him. It says that he's wounded. So this smite was not just like, hey, walk up, punch me in the face. It was like, yeah, they beat me up, do something, do some damage. Yeah, it says the man's wounded. I don't know if he had weapons or I don't know what, but it's just like he 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 came down on this guy. And so the prophet now is wounded. I mean, he's he's probably jacked up pretty bad. And what does he do? He throws ashes on his head. And he disguises himself so that someone will not be able to tell who it is. Who is this man that he's disguising himself from? Ahab, this king. Look what happens, verse 39. And as the king passed by, Ahab, he cried unto the king, this prophet who'd just been beat up, and he said, Thy servant went out into the midst of battle, and behold, a man turned aside and brought a man unto me, and said, Keep this man. If by any means he is missing, then shall life be for this life or else thou shalt pay a talent of silver, or $3,000. So what happens? The prophet is beat up, is standing there by the wayside, and yeah, there's Ahab rolling by in his chariot. And the, and the prophet cries out to the king, Hey, king! I was in battle, and I got beat up in all this, and I was, hey, we took some guy's prisoners, and I was supposed to watch after this one guy. And he got away. And so, what should happen to me? And he he says he, he says he's supposed to keep the man, or he'd have to pay, you know it'd be a life for a life, or he'd have to pay the three thousand dollars. And he says, my my, I'm sorry, in verse forty, let me just read it for you. As thy servant was busy here and there, he was gone. So the prisoner pretty much ran off while he was supposed to be keeping watch after him. So shall thy judgment be? Thyself has decided it. And he hasted and took the ashes away from his face, and the king of Israel discerned him that he was of the prophets. What happens is, the king says, well, look, if you let the man go that you're supposed to be keeping watch after, then hey, man, you got to die, or you got to pay the price. And then what happens? The prophet standing there rips off the blindfold around his eyes or whatever it was that was disguising him from the king being able to tell who it was and what happens. This is what he says. All of a sudden the king looks down and says, Oh no, it's the prophet that was speaking to me. And look what he says. Verse 42, And he said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Because thou hast let go out of thy hand a man whom I appointed to utter destruction, therefore thy life shall go for his life, thy people for his people. And the king of Israel went to his house heavy and displeased and came to Samaria. This prophet calls out the king, Hey! You say that since I let the man go, that I should have to pay $3,000 or pay my life for his life? So guess what? Rips off the mask and says, you, O king, you are the one who had man in prison. You are the one who had Mr. 32 in your hands and you let him go. Now you will die. You are the one who has disobeyed the Lord. And the king, Ahab, goes away heavy and displeased, bummed out, Chapter 21. I'm going to try to blow through this for you. I know this is a lot of reading. I'm sorry. Go up your minds with me, family. Let's continue to take in the Scriptures and to finish this story. Amen? Here we go. And it came to pass after these things, after what things? All that had just happened. The king is bummed out. He messed up. That Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard which was in Jezreel, hard by the palace of King Ahab of Samaria. So all of a sudden a new story picks up. It's kind of along the same lines here. But you have a man named Naboth, and he has a vineyard, a very nice vineyard. And Ahab knows about this and he desires it. And look what th- that happens in verse 2. It says, Ahab spake under Naboth, saying, Give me thy vineyard, that I may have it for garden of herbs, because it is near unto my house, and I will give thee for it a better vineyard than it. Or, if it seems good to thee, I will give thee the worth of it in money. So Ahab, the wicked guy, yeah, the one who messed up, he says to Naboth, Naboth, I like your vineyard. That thing's nice. Could produce some really good herbs. And uh, hey, it's close to my house. I kind of like that. You know, I, I kind of like. like I'll, I'll give you another vineyard, whatever you want. You want money? I'll give you whatever you want for it. Naboth, in verse three, said to Ahab, "The Lord forbid it, me. I'm sorry. The Lord forbid it me. Yes." that I should give the inheritance of my father's envy. He's like, dude, no way. I ain't giving it to you. I would encourage you, family, in this time, as it's difficult to take in this exhausting amount of Scripture, that you would practice the discipline of continuing to take in to stretch your attention span. It's very difficult. Something I have to work on time and time again, even as I listen to exhaustive studies. That we would not be a people... That can only take in 30 minutes because that's what the TV tells us. Or an hour movie and then I'm done. But that we would be once. Oh, gosh, I would love to get to that point. Do you remember Paul? Taught all the way through the night. Do you remember that? And there was a boy sitting there by the window and he fell out and broke his neck. During the teaching. I wonder if he was falling asleep. What happens? He's like sitting there. He's all tired and he falls out of the window breaks his neck. And Paul says, hey, uh, bring him back up here. And Paul uh, heals and raises him up from the dead right there, and then they continue teaching. Interesting. They hope that doesn't happen, it doesn't have to happen, in order for us to wake up. But practice during this time, please, and we'll finish this. So it, Naboth, the guy with the vineyard, says, "What? Uh-uh, buddy. Not doing it. Not selling it." And Ahab came into his house heavy and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he said, I will not give thee the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down upon his bed and turned away his face and would not eat bread. What a little baby. (laughs) He's like pouting. Naboth won't give me his land. And he goes in his, it says his bed, and he faces towards the wall. And he's like, I'm not going to eat anything, you know. Like I'm all, isn't that fun? He's just like, what a sissy, man. You know, like you're, come on, you're you're king. You know, like what are you doing, pouting over somebody's land? It's ridiculous. Like he has all the land that he wants, and of course, he wants little Naboth over there, his piece of land. It's ridiculous. Ahab, verse five. But Jezebel, uh uh-oh, here she is. Jezebel, his wife, came to him, and said. Why is thy spirit so sad, that thou eatest no bread? Look what he says. Because I spake to Naboth the Jezreelite, and he said, give you money for the vineyard. And he says, I will not give thee another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. And Jezebel's wife said to him, Dost thou not govern the kingdom of Israel? Arise, and eat bread. Let thy heart be merry. I will give thee the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. Oh, Jezebel. Oh, this woman is wicked. She's just like, king, king. Because he's over there in the corner pouting, and he's got the lip out and everything. And he starts rubbing his back or something. And hey, aren't you the king? I mean, you can do whatever you want. Anything you want. All you gotta do is just go and take it from him. She's like, "Don't worry, honey. I'll take care of it for you. I'll go get the land. I bet he'd probably all cheer it up, you know, like, a happy all of a sudden." Oh, thanks, honey. Look what happens. It's sad. So, verse eight. So she who, hey, Jezebel, Miss Wicked, wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal, and sent the letters into the elders and to the nobles that were in the city dwelling with Naboth. Look what the letters said that she sent. And she wrote in the letters, saying, Proclaim a fast, and set Naboth on a high among the people, and set two men, sons of Bilal, before him to bear witness against him, saying, Thou didst blaspheme God and the king. And then carry him out and stone him that he may die. Oh man. My heart just like burns with like righteousness and just anger, man. I cannot believe this. This is so sick. She says this. I'm sorry. She takes the letters, she starts writing them, and she signs. She forges her husband's signature because he's king. She takes the seal and stamps it. So I guess King said this. And what does he say? What does she say? She sends this letter to Naboth City saying, hey, do a fast and do a prayer session. Get everybody in the city together and kind of get Naboth to like run the whole thing. Put him up in a high place. And then she's like, and then do this. Get two guys to walk up and accuse him of blaspheming God. Just get him to walk up and just start convincing everybody. He blasphemed God. He does not love the living God. We saw him doing this and doing that. Start accusing and to pull down and to mess up. And then take him out, drag him out into the city and stone the guy. When somebody was stoned, you know what they did? They would push them to an edge of a cliff, throwing rocks. And they would push them over the side or throw rocks at them until they fell over the side. And then they would drop rocks on top of them. This is what they want to do this man Naboth. Because what? Because he won't give up some land. And Look what happens. Verse 11. And the men of the city, even the elders and the nobles... who were were the inhabitants of his city, did as Jezebel had sent them to do. And as it was written in the letters which she had sent to them, they proclaimed a fast and set Naboth on high among the people. And there came two men, yep, there they are, children of Belial, and sat before him. And the men of Belial witnessed against him, even against Naboth, in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth did blaspheme God and the king. Then they carried him forth out of the city and stoned him with stones, that he died. Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, "Naboth is stoned and is dead." It was like one of those when I was reading this and preparing for this. I was thinking to myself, I was hoping like that God would like do something crazy and like pull. The, no, the man's dead. Yeah, they stoned him. They carried out their plan and they did it. And Naboth died for a piece of land. I wonder if he was standing there. Like, can you imagine? Like, if that was you? Like, you just got some land that your parents gave to you. Maybe a king rises up and says, Give me that land. You're just like, No, man, this is like my family. He's like, I've had this forever. And the wife of that king rises up and comes and like, Maybe you're leading the prayer session, a man or a woman of God. All of a sudden, two people just stand up and start accusing you and making up stuff. And everybody just gets against you and you're like Sandy, like, No, 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 I didn't do anything. I'm telling you, like I, I love God. What happens when they start the to throw stones at you? Can you imagine being stoned? Man. Wicked. Look what happens, verse fifteen. And it came to pass when Jezebel heard that Naboth was stoned and dead, that Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise. Take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelites, which he refused to give thee for money. For Naboth is not alive, but dead. And it came to pass when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, that Ahab arose up to go down to the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, to take possession of it. This guy is Whack. He allowed this to happen. He encouraged this. He influenced his wife. He stepped out in places that he never should have gone. And it's a sad day. I mean, that's the most wicked thing I've ever seen. Who could do that? So look what happens in verse 17. Come on, we got 12 verses. You ready? And the word of the Lord came to Elijah Tishbite saying, Whoa, where did Elijah come from? All of a sudden he just springs up. Do you know that God hasn't spoken to him in six years? It's been six years. And all of a sudden the Father just speaks to him. Hey, It's a little word for us, huh? Maybe if the season's a little dry in your life and you haven't heard God speak, recognize that it's right around the corner. That he will speak to your life directly. You continue to pursue him. It may be six years, it may be sixty, maybe forty, like Moses. You wait. God desires to use each one of us. To be patient in your walk with God. He is right on time every single time. He's never early. It's never late. Sometimes I wish he was early. But he's never late. Maybe, hey, things are a little dry right now in your walk. Maybe you seek the face of God and it's just like nothing, there's no feeling anymore. I'm just kind of just going through the motions. I'm kind of just trying to be faithful to study and trying to be faithful to worship God and 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 to be one that lives in integrity. But man, Josh, I don't get the goosebumps anymore as much as I used to. And hey, things are just you know it's kind of hard. Stay faithful! God knows. It may be a little while. It's okay. Remember, sometimes seasons, sometimes it's summertime. Everything's just a blast. Fall comes around and everything starts to slow down. Winter, God, where are you? Recognize spring is right around the corner. The freshness and newness of life that God has brought to you before will come again. Elijah rises up. I love it. It's been six years. I bet he was stoked. Probably just sitting there all of a sudden, the word of the Lord just comes to him. He's just like, Father, it's been a while. The word just comes to him, and I bet he's just fired up. And this is what the Lord says to Elijah in verse 18. Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, which is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, whither he is gone down to possess it. And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord... Hast thou killed and also taken possession? And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, in the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick thy blood, even thine. Look what happens. This is powerful. God tells Elijah, go and tell that wicked man that the dogs that have licked the blood of the man that you killed will do the same to you, and you will die. Look what happens in verse 20. And Ahab said to Elijah, Hast thou found me, O my enemy? Did you hear that? says, O my enemy. Can you picture this? Ahab standing there in the vineyard that he just killed a man and hey took his vineyard and he's standing there and maybe he's just eating some stuff. He's feeling himself. And all of a sudden Elijah walks up and he's like, Oh, old friend. Mr. Enemy, didn't my wife send some people out to kill you a couple years back? What are you doing here? He calls him enemy. Wanna why he calls him enemy? Because the man speaks truth into his life. He shouldn't be calling him enemy, he should be calling him friend. A friend will always speak truth into your life. Know this. A friend will stab you in the front. A friend will open your eyes to the things that you do not see. A friend will be honest and open with you. Will sit down and talk with you. And listen, family, this is a principle that we need to start applying within the church today. That if you see something within somebody's life, correct them. Rebuke them. Be honest with them. Not like this. Why are you doing that, you idiot? What's wrong? No. No. But coming to them and saying, hey, listen, I love you. And I have to tell you this because no one else will. And you have food all over your face and no one will wipe it off for you. Everybody's looking at it. Everybody can see exactly what's going on. Everybody sees you're this wicked king who just stole some, I mean, everybody just looks at you like, what's wrong with you? There are people in the church today that need serious rebuke. Not like this like this. To embrace them and to hug and to love on. But see, this is the hardest thing for us, isn't it? We're scared it's going to cause division amongst us. To be honest with a family member. To be honest with a close friend. To sit them down and say, hey, I love you. Please, let me share this with you. That's why I'd even encourage you that maybe you can come to a person... And say, hey, I want to be completely honest and open with you right now. And maybe after I'm done being completely honest and open with you, you can be completely honest and open with me. And share the things that I need reproof in. The man who desires this, the woman who wants this, is one who truly seeks the face of God. Why? Because they are willing to look into their own life. A mirror that they look into day after day after day, but don't see exactly what's going on. The way you view yourself is like what? A carnival mirror. You don't see the clear image of yourself. You can't. Pride blinds you. Me too, Josh Thompson, yeah. They took one of my friends telling me, it's here tonight, back in high school, that you're the most prideful guy I've ever met in my life. I looked at him and said, what? I can't believe he even said that. Pride coming up even in the conversation. And I can't even see it. I can't see myself. And throughout the rest of the day, God starts to reveal to me what a cocky, prideful jerk. He still selling that to me. But it took a friend stepping out and being honest with me. And I've had older men in my life speak truth and just be honest. And Josh, you need to do this. And you got to do this. Just be honest and open. The wise man loves rebuke. If you're wise, you will love this thing. You will adore it. You will cherish it. You will look forward to it. That's why marriage is so sweet. Because you just rebuke each other. You get so close to one another that you see every single fault and every single thing. And as you sometimes call each other out, maybe not in the best way, and other times in the best way. And you get to grow close because you work through those things because you trust the person. Like, It's not a fight anymore. It's just them being honest with me and trying to help my life so I can be a better man or so I can be a better woman. Helping one another. The one who tells the truth isn't your enemy. The one who tells you the truth is your best friend. So you got to cling on to those people. And don't be angry with someone somebody shares something with you. Ever! You shouldn't be. If somebody walks up to Josh Thomas and says, you know what? You're this and you're that and you're this and you're that. And even if they do it in the wrong way, I should not get angry with them. I should ask myself, is that me? And I should ask myself, you know what? I'm going to start improving in that area regardless Even if I don't need improvement, I'm just going to start doing it. I'm going to apply that to my life. I can't lose. That only helps. Do you understand? You can't lose in receiving rebuke, even if they're not on point. That's why a wise man will love it and cherish it and desire it. I would encourage that. I would encourage you, the closest people around you, to minister to you. And to allow them to do that. We don't have enough confession in the church. We need more of that family. So Ahab says to Elijah, O old friend, Hey enemy. Why does he call him enemy? Because he does not like truth. And Elijah answered, I have found thee, because thou hast sold thyself to work evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring evil upon thee and will take away thy posterity and will cut sorry and will cut off from Ahab him that pisseth against the wall him that shut up and left in Israel and will make thine house like the house of Jeroboam the son of Nebat and like the son of Baasha, the son of Ahijah, for the provoke—I'm sorry—provocation wherewith thou hast provoked me to anger and made Israel to sin. And of Jezebel also spake the Lord, saying, The dogs shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel, and the dieth of Ahab in the city, the dogs shall eat. And him that dieth in the field shall the fowls of the air eat. So Elijah just pretty much just dropped the hammer on this guy. He's like, look, buddy. You're going to die. Your wife's going to die. Your house is going to... Everything's going down. Your kingdom's going to fall. Look at this, though. Look what happens. This is amazing. This is the point. This is it. Here is the end. Look at this. Verse 25. But there was none like unto Ahab which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord. Did you say that? There is none like this man who is so wicked as Ahab to sell himself to wickedness whom Jezebel his wife stirred up in him. Verse 26, And he did very abominably in following idols according to all things as did the Amorites, which the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. And it came to pass when Ahab heard those words that he rent his clothes and put on sackcloth upon his flesh, and fasted, and laid in sackcloth, and went softly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishabite, saying, Hold on, before we read the last verse. Did you see what just happened? Elijah calls the guy out, and what does he do? He rents his clothes. This is what the... I don't know if you even saw that. Do you remember when the Gaza Strip was taken from Israel, and on TV you saw people ripping? They're renting their clothes. It's a place of just like the, the biggest disaster, like everything has fallen out. Sackcloth is put on ashes upon his head. This man humbles himself in an instant. This king of wickedness falls before the man Elijah. One of you just fell on his face, like right there, just like, boom. Started crying and just sobbing and just weeping unto God. And look at what happens. Look at what Elijah the Tishabite says. See thou how Ahab humbled himself before me? Because he humbled himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days, but in his son's days I will bring the evil upon the house. This is crazy. The most wicked king ever. God pursues this man and pursues this man and pursues this guy. Pursues it, pursues him. He does not stop pursuing him. He reaches out to him. He grabs onto him. The most wicked, sick. Let me paint a picture. How about we find the sickest molester in the city, who's killed many, who's a thief. Who hates his family. Who does not take care of them. Who mocks and blasphemes the living God. All that comes out of his mouth is profanity. All that he is is wicked and sick. It's like me. I say slaughter that man. Take him out. No mercy, no grace for you, buddy. You're wicked. You're sick. And you've done sick things. If somebody did, ever did something to my family, I'd want to kill them. I would not want to give them forgiveness at all. And the great king of all the universe reaches his hand down to this wicked man and gives him chance after chance. Why? Why would God be so gracious to a man? What love is this? Who loves like that? It lines up just so perfectly with the, with the things that Patrick speaks about. He probably looks at himself as a man that does not, it's like, I can, you don't understand. I've done too many bad things in order to get a good life again. Ahab, wicked. And for God to reach down and restore his life, amazing. Now what I want you to understand is this. There's two things that God looks upon huge, that we can apply to right now. He looks upon one who is humble and one who has faith. These are the two things that we see continually in the Word of God. That God, when He's searching to and fro, He looks for the man who is humble and meek and one who has faith. We see Jesus time and time again looking for those who believed, who are willing, who are honest. God is looking for the same within our lives. A meek and humble person is one who does not speak much. Slow with words. Is not quick to anger. Has self-control. One who submits themselves in precision each day before the Lord their God. One who rents themselves before God. Close with this. Buddy Christian, bless his heart, man. I remember when we were in the desert, I would look at this guy. He's like the holiest guy out of all of us, like just set apart, man. And then he just like served God, loves God, spent time with God. When all of us were goofing off, he loved to just spend time with Jesus. And he is the one in our prayer meeting. I'll never forget this. We're in the prayer meeting. We're there on our face. All of us guys, there's 22 of us in the room. And Christian, like the holiest guy in the room, the guy who's like set apart, the guy that we look up to, that we desire to pray like and be close to God. He starts crying out to God. He starts crying out and he starts weeping. Prick my heart. Prick my heart. Change me. Mold me and shape me into the image of... He's just crying out to God and we're sitting there like... Everybody in the whole just hop. It's like, what is going on here? Christian, what are you doing? Why are you crying out? You're fine, man. Cry out for us. But this is a man who's set apart. Can you see the picture of Ahab in his wickedness, in his ridiculous manner, him falling before the face of God and ranting himself? Crying out to God, just man, I will be humble before you, just falling on the ground. Weeping. This place of being humble has got to come from us. Let the grace of God pour upon your life in such a way that it would humble you, that it would break you. I'm scared to say that grace has become a stale thing amongst our community. That man, we recognize grace and we're, we're happy about that, but it does not stir us daily. Do we need to be like Ahab in order to recognize how much we're forgiven? Let our eyes be open in an instant tonight. Let somehow you allow God to speak to you through this passage and looking at a man so wicked that God would reach out and forgive him. Let that push into our lives in the way that we love people, our family members and the way that we love the friends, and the way that we love people, hey, who rip us off, who laugh in our face, who mock. That is the beauty of the love of Christ. It changes. It molds and shapes and pushes us to be men and women that strive like never before. Thank you guys for staying focused. Doing the long lecture. I know it's long. I'm sweating myself and my eyes are weary. But I tell you this let's be different. Let's do those things that we know we ought to do daily, simple disciplines. Simple things that we desire. Me and Fredo, we were talking earlier today. I was sharing with them what this guy said to me today. He just said, Josh, again, simple, just pray. pray. The reason why it spoke to me so much is because I don't. The reason why we don't move and have the humble heart and have the passion and have the things that we desire is because we don't. If you desire it, rent your clothes. Tonight, in your room, go by yourself. Seek God and be dead serious and watch change. You can go as deep as you want, family. You can have the power in your life if you desire it. It's up to you. Let me pray these things and talk to the Father. Oh Lord, I've said a lot of words tonight, I think too many. The people are weary. Father, would you put the desire in each one of us? God, I pray week after week that change would occur, and I believe it is, Father. But Lord, would revival take place in our own hearts and every single one? Would we be people who walk around recognizing the love and the grace of God that no man is beyond reach? That no person out there, that we would love them because You have delivered us Please, Lord, do a supernatural stirring within the people's hearts as they leave. God, would they wake up in the morning different? Father, I even pray just for steady growth. Just consistency amongst these people. Seeking your face, walking with you, knowing your heart. We lay all these things down before you. Change us. We thank you for the work that you're doing. Bless these as they go. Bring this illustration. Please use it for your glory throughout this week somehow. Please help us to see Ahab and to reach out in love. And watch them be broken before the living God. Help us to love you. And to love your people. And to love this world. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.